Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. A.W. Tozer said this, I love this thought. He said that God waits to be wanted. God waits to be wanted. What does that mean? Reflect on that. God waits to be wanted. I believe that that means that the Lord is looking for hearts that are looking for Him. He, he, he's looking for people that are in pursuit of Him. And this is all throughout Scripture. This is, this is not just A.W. Tozer's thought. It's a, it's a God thought. It's a Scripture thought. That God waits to be wanted. That as we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. He's already initiated through the cross. He initiates in prevenient grace. But it's the response of our heart to then turn toward Him. And as we do, He draws near to us. Jesus said to the woman at the well that, that God the Father, He's not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for people who are turned towards Him. And so hearts that are making room and making space for the Lord, hearts that are rebuilding the altar and purchasing oil and saying, God, send the fire again. These are good days. Our pursuit of God is often measured in waiting. That is our active willingness to prioritize our time and our attention on the Lord. And that priority of waiting, the priority of waiting on the Lord, will cost you something in other areas of your life. I just, I want you to know that right off the top. It will cost you momentum in other areas of your life. We, we, God is not interested in being a la mode, like, like the lump of ice cream on the, on the side of the slice of pie of our life. Like, hey God, we'll just, we'll just kind of put a little dauble of you on the side. God is the main course. And, and, he, and he's looking to be prioritized. And when we prioritize him, uh, it will cost us momentum in other areas of life, but the cost of that is embarrassing in contrast to what we receive because we receive from him. Like Jiva was speaking about last week, we can get caught up in very important tasks and miss out on the all-important treasure of just being in the presence of the Lord. It's possible for us to get caught up in details and duties and miss out on the most important thing. And these are days for us to reprioritize and say, God, I'm coming after you as the main thing, as the one thing, as the all-important thing. Can I get an amen? Amen. So I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go with me this morning to Exodus chapter 33. This is an important passage of scripture uh, to this house, to this spiritual family. We're going to look at a less familiar uh, portion of verses from this chapter. And I believe that God wants to sow something good into our hearts for this season of visitation. Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to start our reading at verse 7. Just read five verses, verses 7 to 11, and then we're just going to kind of work through that together this morning and trust that the Lord will speak to our hearts. Verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud 
That's the, that's the type of, that's God's presence in that Old Testament grace. The pillar of cloud standing would, would come and come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. But his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Let's go back into verse 7. Let's, let's just work through this. And if you're following along in, in your text, uh, in your scripture there on your phone, just encourage you just to take a few notes as we work through this text together. Verse 7 says that Moses would take this tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. And he called it the tent of meeting. I like that phrase, the, the tent of meeting. This is before the tabernacle was built inside the camp. Moses set up a tent outside the camp. This, this is, is, is beyond just the regulated place where, where the priests ministered. This is a place where Moses himself communed with God. It's a place of fellowship. It, it seems to be born out of a heart of just desire to have intimacy with God and to know the heart of the Lord. And I love that this tent of meeting, this idea in Moses' heart, like I'm going to, to make this place of meeting, I'm going to set up a tent. The language that just grabbed me as, as I was preparing to minister the word this morning was the phrase, some distance away. He, he would set up this tent some distance away. What does that mean? It, it means that sometimes the busyness of our lives can interrupt the main thing, the one thing, the most important thing. And it's important for us to create some distance between busyness and the presence of the Lord. I don't know who's the originator of this quote. You don't have to Google it now. You can do it later. Someone said this. Now I'm saying it. Beware of the barrenness of busyness. I've heard it said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. That we can get so consumed, like Jeeva was talking about last week, like, like the Martha priority. I've, I've, I've got lots of things that are really important. Jesus is here, and I really want to make sure everyone has what they need. And I want to be the hostess with the mostess. But Mary chose better. There, there's something about choosing better and prioritizing on the presence of the Lord. It's important to get away from busyness and meet with God some distance away. My heart has been drawn, uh, you know, devotionally and probably also just in, in this season as we're weighing out, uh, you know, with, with looking at, uh, you know, the vacancy on the deacon board. It's probably part of it, but just even in my own time with the Lord, I've been drawn to Acts chapter 6, where in Acts chapter 6, you don't have to go there, but in Acts chapter 6, the early church, they're, they're, they're busy. The church is growing. And when the church is growing, there's more people. And when there's more people, there's sometimes more, more things to deal with. And people have issues with one another or things that are coming up. And in the early church, it was no different. And so the, the Grecian women weren't getting as much food as the Hebrew women at the daily distribution of food. And 
this, this was a problem because these Grecian Christian women are being discriminated against because of their ethnic background in the church. And they're, they're not receiving a fair share uh, at this distribution. And so they bring this, the Bible refers to the leadership as the 12. That's the 12 apostles. They, they bring this issue to the 12 apostles, wanting the, the apostles, the leaders in the church, to get involved in mediating this conflict, rendering a decision, and actually managing the distribution of food in that local church context. And I've been struck by the wisdom that came upon the 12, that they actually had a conviction about where they should focus their attention. And the language of conviction actually sounds like this in Acts chapter 6. They said, it would not be right for us. That's conviction. It wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God and prayer so that we might wait on tables. They didn't say waiting on tables wasn't right. They said, we need to wait on God before we wait on tables. And what we need is some anointed people who can take on this important ministry. You choose them, we'll appoint them and empower them. But there's an, a priority for the presence of the Lord that needs to be in the midst of even local church governance. That to me is this picture of what we see in Exodus 33, where Moses is saying, I've got all of this responsibility and all of these details. And with all of these people, when you read about the, the Israelite people as they're coming, I mean, they were complaining when they were in captivity. They were complaining when they were set free. They were upset when they got water. They were upset when they got manna. They didn't want just manna. They wanted meat. They wanted like, they were just, they, they just kind of had something to complain about all the time. And Moses is tasked with leading that. And in the busyness, he set some distance between him and all of those responsibilities. And he prioritized on meeting with the Lord. That is applicable to every single person within the sound of my voice. We live in a culture that's moving at a frenetic pace. And even when the pace of your work life isn't, uh, you know, demanding of you, even if, if it's possible for you to kind of, you know, you can come home and set up the boundary and just kind of shut it down. There's still possible for things to invade and raid our time and space in such a way that we don't actually get that prioritized time in the presence of the Lord. I just want to kind of dispel the myth that it's going to slow down and eventually you'll get the time. Amen or ouch. But I know for myself, I've at times just thought, well, when, when it slows down, I will. And when, when things kind of let up in my schedule, then I'll, and I, I'll admit, I could say that for years. And there's actually something about just determining like Moses did. I'm going to put some distance between me and the demand. And I'm going to get into the presence of the Lord. It won't give me momentum in those other areas of responsibility. But it will give me momentum with God. And that's my greatest need. That's what I'm saying. It will cost you in other areas of responsibility. But the reward is so worth it to prioritize on the presence of of the Lord. The second part of uh, verse 7 there in our text says this, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. Now that's interesting to me because what that means is that Moses' intimacy with God became a pathway for others. That the, the place that he, 
he made to meet with God was, although it was his personal pursuit, people witnessed it and said, I need some of that. The same is true for you. The same is true for me. The priority you will make on the presence of the Lord will actually become a pathway for others, especially in family contexts. What you model, mom and dad, is going to become something that your kids will pick up and learn, not by telling them, do this and do that. They'll just witness it in the rhythm of your family and recognize that, that, that when we have big decisions to make, when we're struck with grief, when there are challenges, when there's something that, you know, when, when I'm getting picked on at school, we pray, we seek God. And that is going to become a pathway of priority in their hearts. They're going to say, I witnessed that and I want that. It became a pathway for others, particularly for those inquiring of the Lord. What a curious phrase. What's it mean? to inquire of the Lord. It means that there were people who knew they needed a word from God. And so they wanted to get into the presence of God. If you know you need a word from God, it's not enough to know that. It's important to set yourself to inquire of him. It's important to set yourself in the place of meeting with him. We need a place for meeting to inquire of the Lord. Can we look at verses 8 to 10 again? Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down, stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to his tent. Moses' encounter with the Lord inspired the entire community of Israel to worship God. Now, this presents a tension. There's a tension in this text. And what is that tension? Well, there, there might be, you know, no doubt some religious people who would criticize Moses for displaying his private worship of God. He's walking out to meet with the Lord in full view of the people. And there'd be people who'd be like, well, why, would, why wouldn't Moses just sneak away? And you can even quote some scripture on that. You know, the right hand doesn't need to know what the left is doing. You know, and the Pharisees were the ones who just, they, they wanted to pray loud prayers and everybody be impressed by how spiritual they were. And yet the Bible says here that Moses' private devotion was in public view. And the people would actually rise. When they saw him move toward the tent, they would rise and watch. And they would watch. Imagine this if you can. Just paint this picture in your mind. Is that the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, the presence of the Lord that was over the nation of Israel. When Moses would go to meet with God, that pillar of cloud would pick up and move and then drop down on the tent as Moses went inside. I don't know about you, but if I was an Israelite, I'd probably lean out the window and take a peek too. I'd be curious as well. Like, hey, is it, is it getting shady? You know, and you're watching the cloud just move and settle down over Moses. So what of the critics saying, well, why is Moses putting his worship on display? Why does he sing so loud? Why does he, why does he pray? in front of other people. Moses shouldn't need others to see him worship and pray. Now to that, I would say amen. Moses shouldn't need it. I agree. Moses didn't need 
the people to see him seek the Lord. But hear me. The people needed to see him do it. There's something wrong when Moses needs it. Like, hey, hey, everyone, I just, I don't know if you noticed, but when I was praying, the glory of God came. And uh, so please donate to my ministry and buy all my books. Like if he needed it, right? That, that's unhealthy. But they needed it. They needed to witness encounter and intimacy. They needed to witness that priority. The right way to read this text is that Moses was not ashamed to let the people know my priority is the presence of God. That's the way to read it. My priority is the presence of God and I'm not ashamed. And when I make time to go and meet with God, it's kind of like I'm putting, it's kind of like the cloud was God's giant do not disturb sign on Moses' office. It's like, I'm going to go meet with God and God's like, all right, now everybody leave us alone for a sec. I'm going to go meet with God. We should never make a display of our pursuit of God because of the way it makes me feel when other people see it. But yet we should never hide our pursuit of God either. All throughout scripture, there's the witness of this. David said seven times a day, I stop everything I'm doing and I seek the Lord. I praise the Lord. Daniel had an excellent spirit, served five different kingdoms. And when rival uh, counselors saw Daniel's influence over the king, they wanted to disrupt him. And they knew the only way they could do it was to get him off his game in prayer. They knew that Daniel, three times a day, got down on his knees and sought the Lord. How did they know that? Daniel wasn't ashamed to get before God and pray. People saw it. The early church had a custom of going to the house of God in prayer. Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John are walking into the temple, it's the time of prayer, 3 in the afternoon. That's what they did every day. They had a custom of, of, of the rhythm of prayer that was not a secret. Jesus regularly went to the Mount of Olives. That was, his, that was his tent of meeting. He went to the Mount of Olives so regularly that whenever the disciples couldn't find Jesus, they would just go to the Mount of Olives. And nine times out of ten, that's where he was. Because he had a rhythm of prayer. There's something about prioritizing time in the presence of the Lord that will actually inspire worship in others. And it's important. It's important that your personal devotion actually has public influence. Not that you, you are putting it on display like, hey, I'm just going to Instagram myself in the secret place but that you're also not ashamed to bow your head and pray in a restaurant when you're about to eat. I was out for a meal with Paul Richardson, good friend, par partnering ministry in this house, president of Bible League. And uh, we, we went out for lunch a couple weeks ago and the waitress came by and, and uh, as she was just, you know, what do you want to drink? And then she was heading away. He's like, oh, by the way, we're Christians and we pray. This is Paul. He says, by the way, we're Christians and we pray. And we're going to pray for our meal in a minute. Is there anything we could pray with you about? It's like, that's a good one. Not ashamed to seek the Lord. And it actually creates a pathway of visitation for others. This is the spirit of testimony 
about the, the presence of the Lord, the spirit of testimony about revival. When you hear what God is doing around the world, doesn't it make your heart burn and say, God, do it in me? That's the power of testimony. And the pillar of cloud that came down, this is the tangible, visible glory of the Lord on that tent of meeting, that place of encounter. God, God marks places of encounter. When we set time to meet with God, God actually, you can actually feel that. When you, when you wake up on a Sunday morning, it's not the same as the other days of the week. You can feel a sense like, I'm going to meet with God today. How many know what I'm talking about? Like there's, there's, there's something about like, I am, I'm coming to the house of the Lord. When we set time to meet with God, I don't mean this to be spooky or weird. I'm just going to be honest. When we, when we had those prayer and pursuit days, like, like this, is, this is the house of the Lord. This is where we worship. This is where we, where we gather as a local church family. This is also nine to five where a lot of pastoral staff are doing the, the daily works of ministry every day. When we set aside those times of prayer and pursuit, that, that first day coming in on the Thursday night, I felt the presence of the Lord as I walked into the office that morning before we even had the Thursday night prayer. I felt, I, I, I felt like I just walked into like a wall of the presence of the Lord in advance because we had set some time. The Lord was like, I'm fixing to meet with you tonight. That, it put faith in my heart. I'm like, I, when we set aside time, God's like, I'm setting aside that time too. We, we don't just get like, there's, in case you didn't know, like we, there's a, I don't know how many of us here on a Sunday morning, 100 people in here on, before the service starts, just praying, seeking God. Why? Because we're saying, God, as we gather in this place, we're anticipating meeting with you. We're anticipating an encounter with God. And he stirs faith in us. When Jacob was, uh, he had a dream. Jacob had a dream of angels coming down on a ladder, coming up and down this ladder. And when he awoke, he said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. See, the key for us is to be made aware. And to become aware and cultivate awareness and prioritize the presence of the Lord. In Moses' generation, there was a tangible cloud. In our generation, there's a tangible presence, the light and the love of the holiness of God. I have in my lifetime seen the tangible cloud of God with my physical eyes. The goal for us is not that we would just have cool experiences that we could brag to one another about. The goal is that we would encounter God in such a way that that encounter becomes a to the Lord. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Finally, I just want to zero in here on verse 11. This is beautiful to me. Verse 11 says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This, this grabs me in a couple of ways. First of all, the friendship between the Lord and Moses was beautiful, and it pushed the boundaries of human experience. What do I mean? I mean... If you fast forward to verse 20 in this same chapter, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And yet we just read verse 11 that says that God would speak with Moses face to face 
the way a man speaks with his friend. That means that there are realms of relationship only made possible through death to self. You can't see me and live, Moses. Well, we've been talking face to face. Right. Some of you is dying. Glorious death. Baptism death. How many know there's some things in you that need to die? Anybody? There's like 12 of us. Any, anyone know there's some stuff in you that needs to die? Other people are like, uh, is there going to be an altar call of death? No, I'm, I'm just saying... And great fear seized the community. Okay, so. <laughs> How many know there's some things in you that need to die? I mean, this, this is not way out there Christianity. This is Christianity 101. This, like Paul said, that we, you know, we, we're, we're crucified with Christ. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he needs to deny himself and take up his cross. What are you taking up a cross for? To kill some stuff. There's some things that I daily need to die to. Why? Because there's some other things that need to emerge into glorious life in me. And Moses would speak to God face to face the way that a man speaks with his friend. And yet the text tells us just a few verses later, that can't happen unless you die. What's it tell you? Moses had embraced. There's some stuff in me that needs to die. Because the greater pursuit of me, what I really, to me to live, this is what Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. There's some realms of relationship with God that are only possible when we allow some things in us to die that need to die. Battles and struggles, things that, that, that we just can't get victory over. Let me tell you, it's hard for a dead man to sin. And that just sounds like a cute Christian phrase until we realize there's an invitation into the depth of the presence of the Lord where the battle with sin, the battle ends not through bloody conflict of our own, but through yielding to the sacrifice of Jesus and having it appropriated into our own lives. That I've died. And now the life that I live, like Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's His life that's flowing in me. Second thing that grabs me out of this text is I just want you to notice the contagion of intimacy with God. If you can picture this tent of meeting, the cloud of God's glory coming and hovering over it, Moses sitting there, however this speaks to you, whatever this looks like to you, Moses would speak to God face to face. There was some kind of tangible form in that room. And while this encounter is happening, Moses' personal assistant is just sitting in the corner going, if they don't kick me out, I'm not leaving. Like, if it's okay for me to stay here, I'm going to stay here because I want to watch, because I want to learn, because I want that level of intimacy. Listen to this. And then Moses would return 
to the camp. He still had things to do, still had a job, still had, he would return to the camp. But Joshua would remain. He would linger. Isn't it interesting? Moses is the one to whom God spoke face to face and gave him the law. And yet Moses didn't inherit the promised land. Joshua, the one who refused to leave the tent after the meeting was over, he's the one who inherited the promised land. There are promises in your life that can only be fulfilled on the other side of lingering in the tent, remaining in the place of encounter, persisting in the presence of the Lord. See, Joshua was one of the spies who got to go and see the promised land. He was only one of two spies out of 12 that came, two out of the 12 came back and said, we can take that promised land because God said. The 10 other spies like, we can't. And God rendered a verdict, no do-overs. God just said, okay, well, you guys can have it according to your faith. You can't take the promised land. Except for Joshua and Caleb, you guys can. And Joshua and Caleb had to, they had to live amongst a generation of complainers who were waiting to die. How did Joshua keep his heart right? I'm going to linger in the presence of the Lord because I, I'm not going to take promised lands by my violence and my prowess on the battlefield. Not by might, not by power. I'm going to take a promised land out of intimacy with the Most High God and the lingering in His presence. The longer I remain with Him, the more He remains on me. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.